Hi, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Art of Customer Service. My name is Eric Panmela. I'm your host on this show, a former canoeing world champion, father of three, and founder of Solvemate, a leading platform for customer service automation. Our automation platform, powered by smart conversational AI, allows companies to deliver quality customer service faster. On the art of customer service, as you know, I talk to experts about what makes good customer service, which tools and practices are relevant, which new technologies are available in the customer service area, and many other exciting topics around a great service experience. If you like the show, feel free to leave five stars on the rating service of your choice. Today, the art of customer service is about prioritizing CX and overcoming resistance. On the show to me today is Ian Golding. He is having a passion for CX and is developing his passion. He's the founder of the Customer Experience Consultancy and they are training people to do their CCXP accreditation. Effectively, Ian was one of the first persons ever to teach other people on becoming a certified customer experience professional. And if that is not even enough to show his expertise, he's a book author on the book Customer What? The Honest and Practical Guide to Customer Experience. Ian, it's a pleasure today to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Eric. It's lovely to be here. And Whilst I'm not a canoeing world champion, <laughs> I have been in a canoe. So that qualifies me to have a conversation with you today. <laughs> so welcome on the show. Today we will be talking about what holds companies back from having a great CX. And in case um, you know someone has internal hurdles to get CX to their boss, this podcast is for you. So the word to you, what is customer experience and why is it a passion of yours? So, well, again, firstly, it's lovely to be able to have this conversation with you. Because the more conversations like this that are had around the world, the better. Because this ver first question should be such a simple one, and most people should know the answer to it. But regrettably, many still don't, and there is still confusion. Customer experience, in very simplistic terms, represents everything an organization does that enables its customers to interact with its products and services. And the really important point just to add to what I've said, is that what that basically means is that everyone in the organization has a role to play in the delivery of that experience. Customer service is just one element of the experience. The experience comprises absolutely everything. Things that directly interact with the customer, but also things that happen in the background, finance, IT, HR, all things that wouldn't enable us to deliver an experience unless they were there. So it's so important that everyone understands that they have a role to play in the delivery of the experience. I can hear a deep passion in the words that you say and um, a strong conviction. And you've been doing this for more than a decade now. Maybe as a starter, what was the best and maybe also the worst custom experience you've had? There are far too many negative ones that, that I can touch on, but I, I will touch on one that just happened at the weekend. Um, I always like to refer to things that happen in recent times. In terms of good experiences, I have had many experiences that I will never forget. And many of those have been in a hospitality environment. Um, I'm very fortunate to have stayed in some amazing hotels in my time. I'll just tell you one very quickly of, a, of an amazing experience. I was very fortunate in 2020, in the midst of lockdown and the pandemic, 
just in a short period where lockdown stopped in the UK, I decided to take my family to the Savoy Hotel in London, one of the best hotels in the world. Um, now, we'd not been anywhere at all, you know, outside of our city. So to be able to do that was, it felt really special. And it was something that was supposed to be really special. But even the best brands in the world get it wrong. And on this occasion, the Savoy got it wrong. And they put us in a room that was opposite a building site. Now, how they didn't realise it was opposite a building site, I don't know. But my wife was really quite upset. This was very special. You know, we hadn't been anywhere. This was, we needed to treat ourselves. So I contacted reception and said, look, you know, this is a bit of a problem. You know, this is a really important thing for us. And to cut a very long story short, this Savoy didn't flinch. You know, it didn't phase them at all. What happened is that when we returned back from being out that day, they'd moved us into one of their Riverside suites, a suite that, if I were to tell you, cost something like seven, eight thousand pounds a night. But as a, as just a, you know, we, we've got this wrong. Please, you know, just enjoy this room. And it was just remarkable, you know, looking out over the Thames and the the London Eye and the Houses of Parliament. I mean, it was just fantastic, but it didn't phase them. So it's things like that that, you know, things go wrong, even in the most customer-centric of organisations. The negative experience, unfortunately, one of the least customer-centric industries in the world right now is the telco industry and it doesn't really matter which country you're in i've worked with many telco providers actually i won't mention any names now in personally we have two broadband providers in our home our house is quite complicated so we can't get wi-fi across the whole of our property for various reasons so we have to have two one of them is awful So my wife eventually convinced me to get rid of it. So we got rid of it and switched to an alternative provider because the price was good and it seemed okay. But the alternative provider made a mistake and they cancelled our telephone line as well as the broadband, which they weren't supposed to do. Again, to cut a very long story short, all we needed to do was to get in touch with this new provider so they could reconnect the phone line. But it was impossible absolutely impossible to find any way to contact them. The only thing you could do was connect with them through an automated bot on their website. They even have words that they pride themselves on the fact that they don't have, you know, any physical customer service. Now, we we should have checked that first, but it was so shocking that they made it impossible for us to interact with them. And so all that meant is that An hour after switching to them, we cancelled them and moved to another provider. So um, two very different experiences, but it really brings to life, I suppose, the the huge gulf between truly customer-centric businesses and ones that aren't. What two interesting stories did you talk about? There is repeating patterns that I see in there. And the one is if you got a certain, let's say, typically you get in contact with a company with regards to you have an issue, like you said, in your hotel or the telco provider. So customer service to me is at least one of those touch points where you can turn things around. And on your hotel experience, they just turned it around and they, I mean, you just told about a good experience when we all know you tell more people about a negative experience. So The one thing that I see is you can always turn an experience into a positive one when contacting a company, but customer experience as a whole is, you know, 
I, I always say the best service is no service. So companies don't get it right all the time and that's customer experience. Today, um, we want to talk about overcoming resistance. I mean, you're a book author on that and you teach people on customer experience. Um, what is the root cause for not every organization has understood this is perfect, it's a great opportunity to make our clients happy, we need to have the best experience possible. What's the difference? What is the root cause? There are many, and so I'll touch on those. But just to set the scene and just to create a segue from your summary of what we've just been discussing, one of the most important elements of all experiences is what I call the emotional element, the way the experience makes your customer feel. And with all experiences, customers will remember one of three things. They'll remember very good things, they'll remember very bad things, or they'll remember nothing at all. And it's actually that third emotional outcome that's the worst of the three. So as you rightly say, even if something goes wrong, there is the opportunity to correct it so customers remember the way you corrected it rather than what went wrong in the first place. If customers don't remember anything, it means there's no emotional connection between you and your brand. So the next time they choose to do something, previous experiences will have little influence on what they choose to do. So the problem with this is that to you and I, this is all blindingly obvious, as I like to say. But to many business leaders who are making strategic decisions about their organizations, and this is not all, but many, they don't really have enough of a sense of what that emotional experience looks like in their organization. It's still remarkable how many senior leaders of organizations never speak to customers. They don't actually interact with their organizations in the way their customers do. So they're so far removed from the reality of understanding what it's like to be a customer, they unfortunately draw their own conclusion as to how good they are at doing this. Now, if you speak... So given your expertise, would I mean, there is this saying of you need to be on the shop floor when you kind of produce something. And for example, in my company, I'm talking to customers and I'm trying our product and you should do. Would you say there is a disconnect to knowing that you should do this and in reality doing it? 100%. You know, it, it, again, it's so obvious And this is not revolutionary by any means, but far too many leaders don't do it. You know, that some will say, either consciously or subconsciously, they're too busy. I've got too much to do. I haven't got time to do all of that. You know, but if you haven't got time to truly see what your customers are seeing through their eyes, how can you make the right strategic decisions for the organization? And I think fundamentally, coming back to your core question of, What is preventing organizations from doing all of this? We live in a capitalist-driven society, okay, largely wherever you are in the world. What I didn't realize being a customer experience professional is that I would almost become completely anti-capitalist because the reason, one of the fundamental reasons that is preventing businesses from practicing what they preach. So in other words, not just saying customer experience is important, but actually meaning it is that they are still so focused on products, services, on what the business wants, selling things to generate a return for shareholders, 
that is what is obsessing their thought every day. And what they're focused on is how do we shift more things out of the door, not how can we get more things out of the door by actually consistently delivering better experiences to our customers. So the first big source of resistance is a real dilemma between shareholder return and doing the right thing for the customer. And unfortunately, delivering short-term financial return is what keeps senior leaders in a job. And that is what they are focused on. And again, I'm being very blunt and brutal. Not all senior leaders are like this, obviously, but largely it's that short-term desire to make as much money as quickly as possible that is actually making it much harder for businesses to grow sustainably in the long term. Here comes the dilemma. What just came to my mind is the Amazon way, where they said, we're not going to make any profits, we're going to invest in the long-term future. And that, that's my one example. And you could say Jeff Bezos is a capitalist because, of course, like Amazon is earning a lot of money. And the alternative would say, I would say Apple has a great customer experience just from what I've seen myself being an Apple customer. And they also are a publicly listed company on a stock market. So how do you think you could solve the dilemma? I mean, I understand it. You need to deliver to quarterly goals. And most people are not looking on the intrinsic value, but on the proxy. And the proxy for value creation is profits and revenue. But you can always short-term revenues compared to long-term gains. So how to overcome that dilemma? There are two interesting case studies, actually, because I will be controversial and say that actually I don't think Apple are a great example of customer centricity. I think they are a great example of designing brilliant products that consumers want. Of that, there is no doubt. And their products historically have been you know, better than their competitors. I think what Apple's strategy has been, whether it's overtly explained this way, is we want to hook you in. So once you've got our products, you are going to find it very difficult, if not impossible, to leave. So if you've got everything, your music, you've got all your data, you've got, you know, you've got your phone, your tablet, your um, iMac, your watch, you know, actually, you won't switch because, you know, you've, we're so tied in, it, we, we've got you. But what annoys me with Apple is that once they've done that, it's then about slowly but surely getting more money, more money, more money. Let's change the charger. Let's let the battery life degrade. So you've got to upgrade your machine. It's very subtle, but actually I think they are an example of it is about not delivering great experiences, but it's getting you in based on great products and then trying to keep you there, not through the great experience, but through making it actually difficult for you to go. Now, some people might find what I'm saying controversial, but that's what I believe. Now, Tim Cook would probably argue different, but I get your point. So what is a company that has a great experience and looks for the long term than the short term? So I think the contrast between an Apple and an Amazon is an important one. Because the, the significant difference being is that Amazon is not about products. Amazon is truly about the experience. Apple is about product. Amazon is about the experience. Because what I always say to people is that what's remarkable about Amazon is that they sell nothing that's unique. 
Amazon sell exactly the same stuff as everyone else. It's not the products or services that differentiate them. It's their ability to get those products and services to you so simply, so accessibly, and so incredibly hassle-free. And that is the true differentiation. There is nothing stopping anyone from copying what Jeff Bezos has done. From day one, there was nothing to stop anyone doing the same thing, because what Jeff Bezos did is make a huge number of calculated risks. The first risk being that he was going to actually forego the company being profitable for as long as it took to create an experience that actually did what it needed to do. They were, the, and, and my background, part of my background is in online retail, Amazon were the first online retailer to refuse to adopt Verified by Visa, for example, because whilst Verified by Visa at the time made payments more secure for the customer, arguably, it made the experience worse because it was horrendous. You know, if it went wrong, it was just a disaster. But what Jeff Bezos understood is that, do you know what, if that means we've got to pay the bank more for each transaction but actually it's a better experience, we'll do that. Now, no other retailers were prepared to take that risk. you know. And I think that's the point, is that additionally, retailers for many years, online retailers, would hold us as, host as um, not hostages. They, If you wanted to return something to a retailer, you were guilty until proven innocent. Okay, They would not give you your money back until the product was returned and they checked. You know, They've got to check it and is it okay? Amazon said, do you know what? <laughs> if, if there's something wrong, send it back. We'll credit you now. You know, and if once we've got it back, there's a problem, then we'll deal with it. You know, and, and I had this with a Kindle. A Kindle of mine broke. You know, now Amazon know if my Kindle's broken, I can't buy more books. So they sent me a new one before they'd even got the old one back. This is the difference. You know, Amazon, I would say, is an experience company. Apple is a product company. That's my view. That was a very enthusiastic um, argument. And I'm curious what our listeners will talk about it and will think about it. I find this very interesting that you say there is a management, let's say CEO, C-level, whoever is like, is having bonus structures. They are typically based on revenue and not experience. And that's interesting to see that this creates an issue. From my perspective, I always say money follows value. So first you create value to a client and then money follows. And first you should prove value to all of your client base and then revenue will follow, profitability will follow, they will be loyal and this creates shareholder value. But it is the question of long-term versus short-term. And is there any advice, like you work with leaders, that you give leaders to like overcome the shareholder's dilemma? It's really hard. You know, I, on occasion, have wanted to, you know, grab CEOs and shake them because I'm so... <laughs> and he's literally shaking him on the video. I love that, Ian. <laughs> I'm so frustrated that, you know, it's like, that, you know, come on, this is not complicated, but... You know, I talk a lot about empathy and the need for organizations to empathize with customers. At the same time, we need to empathize with CEOs and senior leaders. You know, they are doing what they've been told to do. And it takes a very brave CEO to say to shareholders, no, you're not going to get your financial return for two years. In Jeff Bezos's case, about 12 years, I think it was, or 15 years. And it takes a huge amount of courage and confidence to push back on that. Now, Jeff Bezos 
created Amazon. It was a very different scenario. You know, at the end of the day, it was his baby. And and basically, if you don't like it, try and get rid of me, you know, but I've created this and this is what will happen. I used to love it when he did a, a report to the financial analysts sort of around September time every year, looking forward to the Christmas season. Because all they'd want to know is, what are the numbers going to be, Jeff? What are the numbers going to be? And Jeff Bezos would always respond saying something like, I'm not going to talk about numbers. What I'm going to tell you is that once again, this year, like every year, we are committed to continuously making the experience better for our customers. That that takes a huge amount of courage to be able to say that. And the question is, how many leaders who don't own the company, they didn't found the company, are in that role, how many of them are prepared to truly put their neck on the line and commit to a customer-centric strategy in the long term? There aren't many, but there are some great examples, that, um, examples that people would never have heard of. You know, talking about Amazon and Apple is easy in a way, but an organization that I will often refer to as a brilliant case study of this it is coincidentally an organization in the UK called Northern Gas Networks. You will never have heard of it because they dig holes in the ground to put pipes in the ground to get gas into homes and businesses. And that organization was historically public sector. It was government owned. It was privatized many years ago. And then ultimately it was bought by a Hong Kong conglomerate that owned lots of different things. The CEO of that organization who became CEO probably around 10 years ago, when he went in there, what he was faced with was bureaucracy, lethargy, apathy, you know, just typical sort of public sector environment. And no one really cared about who the customer was. And so he decided that we need to change that. You know, ultimately, the best way to drive sustainable growth in an organization is to, as you rightly say, give value to our customers. So, they want to keep coming back to us and ask us for more and, you know, we will be successful. The CEO of that organization is a man called Mark Horsley. Mark Horsley is the most down-to-earth CEO you will ever have the pleasure of speaking to. And one of the things that defines him is it's not about him. Okay, This has got nothing to do with ego or personality or his own personal gain. This is about him creating a successful business. And when I said to him, why are you doing this? He said, that's what he said. I want to run a successful business. And being customer-led and employee-led is the way to do that. In my opinion, just to add to this, the most transformational CEO in the world today right now is the CEO of Microsoft. Now, I ask people, who is the CEO of Microsoft? Right? And I can tell you, less than 5% of people I ask that question know who it is. All right. And, but that, again, is part of the point because the CEO of Microsoft, uh, Satya Nadella, it's not about him. Satya Nadella is a man that wants Microsoft to succeed. It's not about him being this big public personality. He is what I would describe as a true level five leader, where he wants to inspire that organization. And one of his mantras is to turn Microsoft from a company that knows everything into a company that learns everything. And it's that these people are out there. But to do that, you know, unfortunately, there are very few people in this world that have the courage 
to change that status quo. What an awesome monologue, Ian. I just, I just didn't want to interrupt you because um, I just loved what you say. It was awesome. And I was taking notes while you were talking. And it's very interesting to see that it's a mindset of the leader. It's about the company, not about the person. And I know the two things that I would say, how to change it moving forward. And, you know, you're like a, a leader, a team lead, customer service, a leader, customer experience, a CEO, a manager, and you have bosses. Everyone has bosses, which is kind of the shareholders or your boss's boss. And everyone has people. And both parties need to understand that the focus is not financial gains, but it's about the long-term customer experience, about the product. It's about the company, not about myself. It's not about me and my career journey, it's about making it great for the clients. I love that example with Satya Nadella. And um, so probably one advice is to everyone who has a team, think about the bonus and incentive alignment next time, next year, next quarter, and change it to something about customer experience and not about revenue or profits. And this probably applies to every level of an organization, not only the CEO talking to the owners of the company, but every team lead talking to their clients in the organization. Correct. It's the words I always use as sustainable growth. But to deliver sustainable growth, you cannot do it without people. And so what, what I like to talk about, and I think what leaders need to recognize is the need for what I call a strategic balance. And what I mean by a strategic balance is not just being very clear about what the business wants, but balancing that with a very clear understanding of what the customer wants. And by aligning those two things together, then you're in a position to improve customer perception and the relationships you have with your customers and your business objectives at the same time. The problem that I see far too often is that whilst that customer side of the equation is spoken about, there is no clear strategy in place. And what that means is that The only strategy in place is focusing on what the business wants. And because it's focusing on what the business wants, profit, revenue, you know, all that kind of stuff, we're only focusing on the things that will make that happen. And, you know, to do that, you will make decisions that are almost solely in the interest of the business, you know, and that is where that huge disconnect comes because we then are doing things in the interests of the business not making decisions in the interest of the customer. So we talked about shareholder's dilemma at length, which probably is one of the biggest psychological principal agent problems out there, why people are focusing on their own goals and not about the customer's goals. You talked about strategic balance, balancing business objectives and customer needs. What else in an organization can you do to have a better view on customer experience? So something that is hugely important is the need for cross-functional collaboration. One of the challenges that my profession faces is that there are many organizations who see the customer experience professional, whatever their job title tends happens to be, as the person responsible for the customer experience. But that's the mistake. You know, the customer experience professional the experience of the organization is not theirs. You know, the customer experience is everyone's customer experience. And to be able to consistently deliver the experience you want your customers to have can only be done when every leader, every team, every department, every function is prepared to link arms and work together to deliver the experience together. 
Unfortunately, that creates a challenge of having departments because department makes sense. There is marketing and sales and customer service and operations and whatever you need to support a company. And that creates an overarching, you know, bond. So how would you in an organizational, in an organizational context and structure think about CX then? So you call it a bond. I call it a chain which is essentially the same thing. What we're talking about here is the breaking down of organizational silos. You know, having specific specialisms is, of course, how an organization needs to operate. But too many organizations, those specialisms are in are departmentalized and they are operating not collaboratively, but in isolation of each other, setting separate objectives, having separate strategies, and as a result, they are working towards their own schedule and their own ideal rather than collectively working for the common good of the whole organization. As I say, the customer experience is metaphorically a chain of events that connects the customer to products and services. And every individual, every employee is a link in that metaphorical chain connecting the customer to their products and services. And so what we need is for deep departments, whatever they're called in an organization, to understand that if you're a link in a chain, where do you come in that chain? Do you come at the beginning? Do you come in the middle? Do you come at the end? Because if you come at the beginning of that chain, there are links that come after you who are reliant on what you do. If you're in the middle, you're reliant on the links that come before you, and there are others who are reliant on the links that come after you. And as I say, you only need one of those links not to understand their role, and the whole thing breaks down. So there is a particular tool, if I can call it that, that I teach people called the employee hero. And I call it the employee hero because whether organizations recognize it or not, it is the employee who is the real hero that brings the experience to life for customers every day. And it's a tool that is constructed through a workshop that enables all employees to understand the role they play in delivering the experience. And part of that is visualizing where you come in that chain. So you get an appreciation of what comes before and after you. Playing devil's advocate. First of all, I wanted to say that was an awesome visualization with that chain. I'm so sorry people couldn't see the video. You were doing that perfectly. <laughs> um, so, but I hope people understood that. But I would now argue there is people, look, being devil's advocate, there is people in an organization, let's say, very down like bookkeeping, base level IT that are not part of the chain. What would you answer to that? So the question I always ask people, what role do you play in delivering the customer experience? Now, the example you've just given, it would be possibly expected for them to say either it has nothing to do with me or I am just, okay? I'm, I'm just a bookkeeper. It's got nothing to do with me. Now, what I always say to people is that if anyone responds in that way, what they are proving to you is that they don't know they have a role. But I said to you earlier that everyone has a role from the people that clean offices all the way up to the CEO and everyone in between. So what this employee hero principle does is get people to stop and think so they can understand their role. So what you would need to ask someone like that are the following kinds of questions. Firstly, tell me who your customers are. Now, what they would realize is that actually they are interacting with people, not just externally to the organization, 
but internally. And those people need to be understood as customers as much as those that are external. I then ask them, well, what do you do for your customers every day? And they'll start to realize that, blimey, we do a lot of things here. The next question is, what proportion of the time do you face the external customer? What proportion of the time do you interact with colleagues internally? There are many people that will realize that they spend 100% of their time interacting with colleagues internally. Okay, so they're suddenly realizing, okay, I've got nothing to do with the customer then. All right, so what role should I be playing? in enabling the experience to be delivered to the customer. Well, actually, if my customers are sales or customer service or you know a relationship manager, if I don't do what I do well and I don't do it accurately, then I'm going to cause a problem for them. Because if, I don't know, the, the account statement is wrong, a customer is going to complain to the account manager who's then going to come back to me to ask me, well, what? So actually, I do have a role here. So I think that the key message that I'm delivering is that if we want to break down these organizational silos, people need to have an appreciation of what their colleagues do, but they need to be given time to stop and think, move away from the tasks that they're delivering and understand very clearly what they can be doing to better enable the experience to be delivered. I hope that makes sense. It makes. And um, it's a good thing to ask yourself the question, who is my customer? And I think very often people that are not themselves customer-centric or customer-oriented have like, probably you talk something about an organization. And if everyone in the organization feels like they serve someone, that's great. Um, I've made a very good experience with working with colleagues that have worked in hospitality before. So when we look at, as a software company, we have key account managers, customer success managers, and you need to have that sense of serving to someone, not in your interest, not in a company, but just cater for the client's needs. And I mean, in a hotel, and I know you made, an, you made an interesting example, kind of, you feel like the guest is king. And no, the customer is not always king, but you want to serve them in the best possible way. I find it very interesting that you say this, like, I mean, I intentionally made a bookkeeping argument and the base layer IT, because of course they don't interact with a client, but they serve someone as a basis who then can serve the external world. And visualizing that is interesting. I like that chain argument that we made. Ian, time is flying by. Um, like, what a great conversation already, 35 minutes into that podcast. So we have talked about the shareholder's dilemma. We talked about finding a strategic balance between business objectives and customer needs. We talked about cross-functional collaboration, the employee hero, and the link of chains. I think in our pre-discussion, we talked about something where we might want to conclude making CX intentional. What do you mean by that? I think this is the perfect way to, to sort of sum up everything that we've been discussing. Many organizations that talk about delivering customer experience are actually delivering experiences by accident, okay, which is a very odd expression. But the accidental experience tends to rely on the goodwill of the employee to know what to do and when. There is no clearly defined approach to customer experience. If an organization is going to stand any chance of sustaining the focus on this and as a result delivering measurable change, they can only do so if they're in a position to deliver the experience they want their customers to have consistently. I said to you in our pre-conversation that customer experience is actually a science. Many people would never see it that way, but it is. It's not rocket science. 
but it is a science. And sitting behind that science are a number of competencies. To become a sustainably customer-centric organization, you need to know what those competencies are and be mature in your adoption of them. And as a result, I am hugely passionate about the need for organizations to adopt a rigorous structured approach to make the management of the experience intentional through the adoption of a customer experience framework. Accountability for customer experience and understanding the the metaphorical pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that sit beneath it, it is vital. And what that structure enables you to do is to then be very clear in understanding who is accountable for what and what are the competencies that we need to keep maturing to ensure that we do turn those aspirational words of customer-centric into a demonstrable reality. Too many organizations have not adopted a framework, and what that tends to result in is activity, but activity that tends to be ad hoc. It happens from time to time, but it doesn't become sustainable. And it doesn't become sustainable because ad hoc activity is reliant on having someone like me to make it happen. All right. But if someone like me goes, will it sustain itself? And so the question, anyone listening to this, I would ask them if they do have an active customer experience approach in their organization, what would happen if you leave the organization tomorrow? Would it sustain itself or would it all stop? And far too often, it is the latter. It would just stop because there isn't structure embedded into the way the organization works. It's happening because you are making it happen. You are, you know, constantly bashing your head against a brick wall. So that's what that noise is. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, I hope you could hear how he's punting his hand like a wall. Uh. So I hope that answers the question. So fundamentally, what I'm saying, if you want to sustain the focus on this, you need to adopt a framework to make the management of customer experience intentional in the long term so it isn't reliant on an individual to force it to happen. It embeds itself into the way the company works. Amen. <laughs> Ian, that was an awesome summary. We today wanted to talk about overcoming resistance internally. We talked about the structural shareholders dilemma and becoming anti-capitalistic in a certain way by prioritizing long-term customer gains over profits. We talked about finding the strategic balance between the business objective and the customer needs, which typically fall off the table. The clear need chain between departments in a cross-functional collaboration and making CX intentional, meaning if the CX department or people or that bond goes away, will it sustain itself? That was an awesome summary. Um, thank you, Ian Golding. Ian Golding is the founder of the Customer Experience Consultancy and he knows a lot, as you heard, so feel free to contact him on that. And he wrote a great book called Customer What? So thank you, Ian, for that awesome conversation. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Eric. Danke fürs Zuhören beim Digital Kompakt Podcast. Du merkst, hier ziehst du massig Wissen für dich und dein Unternehmen heraus. Wenn du mit uns noch erfolgreicher werden möchtest, abonniere uns auf den gängigen Podcast-Plattformen. Und hey, je größer wir werden, desto mehr Menschen können wir helfen. Also erzähl doch auch deinen Kolleginnen und Kollegen von uns. Bis zum nächsten Mal.